Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is a podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today we bring you a profile on Hall of Famer Dave Bing, the Man of Steel. He is a member of the 50 greatest players in NBA history from 1996, and he also made the 75 list that the NBA put out earlier this season. Like many of the players that we feature on this show, today's subject is one who hardly ever gets talked about in discussions of the greatest to play the game. It has been a while since I have said this, but this is why we do this show. If you are listening to this podcast, then you are a fan of basketball history, and obviously we are too. And one of our goals is to remember these great players that have disappeared from the discussions on the greatest to ever do it. Today, we point our spotlight on Dave Bing. His impact off the court might have been even bigger than his impact on the court. That is why I call him the Man of Steel, because of what he did after he retired from basketball. But I am getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let us get into his story. He was born on November 24, 1943 in Washington, D.C. He was born to two blue-collar, hard-working parents. His mother, Juanita, was a housekeeper for wealthy families. His father, Hasker, was a bricklayer, and they were a family of faith and very active in the local Baptist church. He was the second of four children, and they lived in a two-bedroom house in Washington. As a child, he suffered a terrible eye injury. Back then, it was not uncommon for kids to have to get creative and make their own toys to play with. Well, he was trying to build a makeshift horse, and he tripped and fell on a stick with a nail sticking out of it and he poked his left eye on that nail. Unfortunately, the Bing family did not have health insurance and could not afford the surgery that young Dave required. They decided to just let the eye heal by itself and thankfully it partially healed. He always had an issue with his left eye but he could see well enough. Obviously, it was not ideal, especially as a professional athlete, but he overcame this obstacle. Another incident happened while Bing was still a kid. His father had an accident where a brick fell on his father's head from four stories up and left him with a very serious head injury. Again, without health insurance, they had to allow the injury to heal by itself. And this was when Bing decided that he wanted to go to college and go into a higher paying career, like in an office, where the risk of physical injury is very low. He also had another obstacle that he needed to overcome. When it came to basketball, he was often discouraged because of his height. He only reached the height of six foot three or 190 centimeters. Now that is still six inches taller than the average height of a male back then, but when it comes to basketball, being only six foot three means you are short. I mean, just think about it. The current year is 2022 and the average height of an NBA player is six foot seven or 201 centimeters. At six foot six a player is below average for the nba six foot six not only puts a person in the 
99th percentile of people for height, but it puts them in the top 5% of the 99th percentile. It puts them in the top 5% of the 99th percentile and it is still below average in the world of the NBA. To put it another way, to be 6'6 means that you are taller than 99.95% of all people on earth. But at your job as an NBA player, you are short. So, Dave Bing followed what everyone told him and switched to baseball. His vision was still a little fuzzy in his left eye, but he did well by high school standards. He was very athletic and quick. The basketball coach convinced Bing to play basketball in addition to baseball, and he became the star of both teams all four years of high school. But during his final year, both teams had a tournament scheduled on the same weekend, and he had to choose. He decided that he had a better chance at a scholarship if he went with the basketball team. His primary goal was to get a college scholarship, get a degree, and go into a corporate type job. Another factor was that he attended Spring Arn High School, which is also the same high school as Elgin Baylor, who was the best player in school history and just beginning his NBA career. Bing looked up to Baylor and wanted to become the next great player to come out of that school. And he played well enough that he did earn that scholarship to Syracuse University, where he was roommates with coaching legend Jim Beheim. Back then, players were not allowed to play varsity during their first year on campus, but during his three years on the varsity for Syracuse, he averaged 22, 23, and then 28 points per game in his final season. He was first-team All-American and one of the best guards in the nation. He also had his degree, so if things did not work out with basketball, he could fall back on his degree and go into an office-type career that he had always dreamed about. But it did work out in basketball. In the 1966 NBA Draft, the Detroit Pistons selected Dave Bing from Syracuse University with the second overall pick. Now this is a good place to take a break and we'll be right back with Dave Bing's career and life after basketball. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show and let us continue with our profile on Dave Bing. He made quite a splash right away with his new Pistons teammates. He came in as the starting point guard from day one and he led the team with four assists per game and he led the team in scoring with 20 points per game. The only player that got more minutes than Bing was teammate and fellow Hall of Famer Dave DeBusher. Of course, DeBusher was not only an all-star player for the Pistons, he was also the team's head coach, so he could give himself as many minutes as he wanted. DeBusher was only in his fourth season in the league and he was already the team's coach. DeBusher knew what he had in Bing. With Bing in the lineup, the team improved from a record of 22 and 58 the year before he arrived to 30 and 51 during Bing's rookie year. That is an eight game improvement, which is significant in the NBA. Bing was now the new star of the team and he was developing very quickly. He won the NBA's Rookie of the Year Award. For his second season in the NBA, he raised his assists to 6.4 per game and his scoring went up to 27 points per game. He was also selected to his first of seven All-Star games. He won the league scoring title and during that second season the team improved even more to 40 and 42 and they made the playoffs for the first time in five years. They were definitely on their way. The future was looking bright for the Detroit Pistons. They had Bing, DeBusher, and a rookie by the name of Jimmy Walker. By the way, 
Dave DeBusschere was demoted to being just a player and the Pistons brought in a new head coach by the name of Donnie Butcher. And no disrespect to DeBusschere, but being a star player and the head coach at the same time is extremely difficult. Those are two very different functions and each requires full dedication. There is not enough time in the day to do both jobs really well. Anyway, the Pistons regressed during the 68-69 season, which was Bing's third season. DeBusschere missed almost the entire season to injury and they could just not keep pace with the rest of the NBA. DeBusschere was then traded to the Knicks for Walt Bellamy, who did not quite live up to his billing. The team went back to being a two-star team with Bing and Walker each averaging 20 points per game. On paper, the Pistons looked like a really good team, but the division was crowded with the Celtics, Knicks, and 76ers all playing at a really high level. It just seemed that the Pistons were always the odd man out. They just could not break through. That is probably why Bing is not talked about more. Even though he was a fantastically gifted player who deserved to go to all those All-Star games, unfortunately, his team did not win that much when having to play in a really crowded league. To be considered a legend, you have to win, otherwise you disappear out of those conversations. Now I'm not saying that that is right or wrong, I'm just saying that's the way it is. Without rings, it becomes difficult to make a case for being an all-time great no matter how great you really are. Just to prove that point, let me take you back to the NBA of the 1980s. Back then, Michael Jordan's reputation was that of being a great individual scorer, but also a player who could never win. Even with all of his scoring titles, without those championships, nobody was calling him the GOAT in the 1980s. I clearly remember having those conversations myself. Jordan is a great scorer, but he can't win. He doesn't make his teammates better the way Magic Johnson and Larry Bird do. And that is the curse of being Dave Bing. He was a fantastically gifted player who played on underperforming teams. In 12 seasons in the NBA, he only made the playoffs five times and he never played in the NBA Finals. He continued to average right around 20 points per game for his entire nine year run with the Pistons. But as they say, father time is undefeated. Eventually, everyone starts to lose a step. And in that respect, Dave Bing was no different. The Pistons eventually traded Bing to the Washington Bullets in 1975, where he played alongside Wes Unseld, Elvin Hayes, Phil Chenier, and Truck Robinson. This was Bing's best chance at a title. He would make his final All-Star game that year. In fact, he was the MVP of the 1976 All-Star game. The Washington Bullets of the mid-70s were a loaded squad. Bing's scoring went down a bit, but only because he was surrounded by scores and he could fulfill the role of playmaker. Unfortunately, they were knocked out of the playoffs in an upset by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Bing would return to the Bullets the following season, but again, they were knocked out of the playoffs in an upset, this time to the Houston Rockets. Bing would then move on to the Boston Celtics to play one final season. The team only won 30 games that season as they were rebuilding. That Celtics team was a group of aging veterans who were playing for pride but with diminishing skills. As the season ended, Dave Bing moved back to Detroit where he played most of his career. He had already begun a business career while he was still playing. From his first season as a rookie for the Pistons, Bing worked at the National Bank of Detroit as a teller and then customer relations and eventually as a mortgage officer. Can you imagine walking into a bank to get a mortgage and you had to work with Dave Bing? From the bank, he moved on to a steel processing company where he learned the business inside out. In 1980, he launched Bing Steel, a steel processing plant. 
He built that business up to $40 million in annual revenue, and he ran it for 20 years before getting out and selling the assets to a competitor. And that is why I titled this episode, The Man of Steel, because he spent 20 years of his business career processing steel as his business. On a personal note, I used to work for a competitor of Bing Steel as a salesperson in my early 20s. Now that is a whole different story. Bing then transformed his company into the Bing Group, a holding company that invested into other smaller companies. After 20 years as a successful entrepreneur, he decided to turn to politics. In 2008, the mayor of Detroit was indicted on perjury and obstruction of justice charges. A special election was held to have someone finish out the term, and Bing won that election. He became the new mayor of Detroit, and after finishing that term, he was elected to a full term on his own. But his support began to dwindle as the city's debt became overwhelming and he had to declare bankruptcy on behalf of the city. At the time, Detroit was the largest city in U.S. history to declare for bankruptcy. Politically, his career was finished. He decided to leave politics and did not seek re-election. He was elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2006 and he deserves that honor. He was a Rookie of the Year, a 7-time All-Star, an All-Star Game MVP, he has one scoring title, and he was twice All-NBA First Team. His number 21 is retired by the Pistons. Further, he won a number of business awards and awards for his volunteer work with the Boys and Girls Club of Detroit. Basically, he succeeded in pretty much everything he ever tried. It is an incredible story of what can be accomplished in a life when you just put your mind to the task at hand. It also helped that he was super athletic and smart as a whip. As of this episode, he is still around and retired at 78 years old. He is a player that deserves to be included in the discussions of the best guards who ever came through the league. He doesn't have the titles, but he definitely had the game. And that is why we do profiles on guys like Dave Bing. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time when we share the story of the original 13 rules of basketball written by the inventor, Dr. James Naismith. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There, you will find shorter historical posts, as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care, and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman aka the football history dude and i wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the sports history network our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear and if you didn't know it already we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics in fact here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice 
as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.